section four of invention and discovery by anonymous this librivox recording is in the public domain the elgin marbles these beautiful relics of grecian antiquity cost the earl of elgin seventy four thousand pounds of which sum he barely received one half from government so that lord byron's imputation to the earl of a mercantile spirit in the transaction is notoriously unjust raleigh a chemist during his confinement in the tower of london sir walter raleigh devoted a considerable portion of his time to chemical and pharmaceutical investigations and interesting it is to see how his unsubdued spirit enabled him to make the most of his misfortunes to surmount difficulties and to turn ordinary things to extraordinary purposes greatly no doubt to the amazement of those about him who marvelled much to behold the splendid courtier and the captain of a happier day earnestly employing himself with chemical stills and crucibles in a vacant hen-house he has converted says sir w wade the lieutenant of the tower in a letter to cecil a little hen-house in the garden into a still-house and here he doth spend his time all day in distillations mr babbage's calculating machine a calculating machine is a fair subject for a joke in may eighteen thirty nine when an additional grant was applied for in the house of commons in order to complete mr babbage's machine mr wakeley inquired whether it was likely to be of any use to the public upon this sir robert peel felicitously replied that quote, the machine should be put to calculate the time at which it would be of any use End quote the calculating machine has certainly not yet been put to any more practical purpose herschel's love of music sir william herschel was a good musician yet such was his ardour for astronomical discovery that at some benefit concert which he gave he had his telescope fixed in a window and made his observations between the acts power of the lever archimedes said to quote, give me a lever long enough and a prop strong enough and with my own weight i will move the world but says dr arnott he would have required to move with the velocity of a cannon-ball for millions of years to alter the position of the earth a small part of an inch this feat of archimedes is in mathematical truth performed by every man who leaps from the ground for he kicks the world away from him whenever he rises and attracts it again when he falls an electrifying machine in persia when sir james malcolm was in persia on his first expedition an electrifying machine which he took with him was one of the chief means of astonishing his persian friends and with its effects he surprised and alarmed all from majesty itself to the lowest peasant at isfahan all were delighted with the electric machine except one renowned doctor and lecturer of the college who envious of the popularity gained by this display of superior science contended publicly that the effects produced were moral not physical that it was the mummery the europeans practised and the state of the nervous agitation they excited which produced an ideal shock 
but he expressed his conviction that a man of true firmness of mind would stand unmoved by all that could be produced out of the glass bottle as he scoffingly termed the machine he was invited to the next experiment the day arrived and he came accordingly this doctor was called red stockings from his usually wearing scarlet hose he was notwithstanding his learning and reputed science often made an object of mirth in the circles of the great and wealthy at istafan to whom he furnished constant amusement from the pertinacity with which he maintained his dogmas hence red stockings with all his philosophy was not over wise nevertheless he maintained his ground in the first society by means common in persia as in other countries he was in fact a little of the fool and not too much of the honest the impression of his character combined with his presumption made sir john malcolm and his party less scrupulous in their preparations to render him an example for all who might hereafter doubt the effects of their boasted electricity indeed their persian visitors seemed anxious that the effect should be such as to satisfy the man that had dared them to the trial that it was physical not moral the philosopher notwithstanding various warnings came boldly up and took hold of the chain with both hands planted his feet firmly shut his teeth and evidently called forth all his resolution to resist the shock it was given and poor red stockings dropped on the floor as if he had been shot there was a momentary alarm but on his almost instant recovery and it being explained that the effect had been increased by the determination to resist it all gave way to one burst of laughter the good-natured philosopher took no offence he muttered something about the reaction of the feelings after being overstrained but admitted there was more in the glass bottle than he had anticipated how to measure the shock of an earthquake dr buckland relates that in certain places liable to earthquakes their extent has been measured by bowls of treacle the inclination of the treacle in the bowl showing the quantum of shock and elsewhere by a watchmaker in scotland by placing a clock against each of the four walls of an apartment and marking the centre of the disc of the pendulum with chalk when the shock took place the derangement caused the pendulum to strike against the back and front of the clock-case when of course a mark would be left indicative of the phenomenon though not of its amount the drummond light the importance of simplicity in inventions for popular use has been shown in the late lieutenant drummond's apparatus for illuminating lighthouses with his oxyhydrogen light that is a stream of oxygen and another of hydrogen directed upon a ball of lime experimentally the light has succeeded beyond the expectation of the inventor but the machinery or apparatus remains to be simplified before it can be worked by the keepers of lighthouses st pierre's paul and virginia baron humboldt in his cosmos volume two pays the following elegant tribute to that small production of the creative imagination to which bernardin de st pierre owes the fairest portion of his literary fame paul and virginia a work such as scarcely any other literature can show it is says humboldt quote, 
a simple but living picture of an island in the midst of the tropic seas in which sometimes smiled on by serene and favouring skies sometimes threatened by the violent conflict of the elements two young and graceful forms stand out picturesquely from the wild luxuriance of the vegetation of the forest as from a flowery tapestry here the aspect of the sea the grouping of the clouds the rustling of the breeze in the bushes of the bamboo and the waving of the lofty palmo are painted with inimitable truth bernardin de st pierre's masterwork paul and virginia accompanied me into the zone to which it owes its origin it was there read for many years by my dear companion and friend bonpland and myself and there let this appeal to personal feelings be forgiven under the silent brightness of the tropical sky or when in the rainy season on the shores of the orinoco the thunder crashed and the flashing lightnings illuminated the forest we were deeply impressed and penetrated with the wonderful truth with which this little work paints the power of nature in the tropical zone in all its peculiarity of character a similar firm grasp of special features without impairing the general impression or depriving the external materials of the free and animating breath of poetic imagination characterizes in an even higher degree the ingenious and tender author of attila rene the martyr and the journey to greece and palestine the contrasted landscapes of the most varied portions of the earth's surface are brought together and made to pass before the mind's eye with wonderful distinctness of vision the serious grandeur of historic remembrances could alone have given so much depth and repose to the impressions of a rapid journey mythology of science Monsieur arago in his brilliant elogue on fourier observes quote, the ancients had a taste or rather a passion for the marvellous which made them forget the sacred ties of gratitude look at them for instance collecting into one single group the high deeds of a great number of heroes whose names they have not even deigned to preserve and attributing them to hercules the lapse of centuries has not made us wiser the public in our time also delight in mingling fiction with history in all careers particularly in that of the sciences there is a design to create herculeses according to the vulgar opinion every astronomical discovery is attributable to herschel the theory of the motions of the planets is identified with the name of laplace and scarcely any credit is allowed to the important labours of d'alembert clairaut euler and lagrange watt is the sole inventor of the steam-engine whilst chaptal has enriched the chemical arts with all those ingenious and productive processes which secure their prosperity to countervail this error arago continues quote, let us hold up to legitimate admiration those chosen men whom nature has endowed with the valuable faculty of grouping together isolated facts and deducing beautiful theories from them but do not let us forget that the sickle of the reaper must cut down the stalks of corn before any one can think of collecting them into sheaves End quote. el dorado of sir walter raleigh 
the term el dorado is commonly considered to have reference to the sovereignty teeming with precious metals which had long been sought for in vain by spanish adventurers their expeditions in quest of it were directed to the interior of the vast region lying between the orinoco and the amazon or guiana the rocks were represented as impregnated with gold the veins of which lay so near the surface as to make it shine with a dazzling resplendency the capital manoa was said to consist of houses covered with plates of gold and to be built upon a vast lake named parima the sands of which were auriferous we abridge the following new version of this romance of history from a brilliant paper on the life and works of raleigh in the edinburgh review the term el dorado was not originally used to designate any particular place it signified generally the gilded or golden and was variously applied according to some it was first used to denote a religious ceremony of the natives in covering the anointed body with gold dust the whole of guiana was on account of the above usages sometimes designated el dorado but the locality of the fable varied the question however to be solved is whence rose the belief that a district so marvellously abundant with the precious metals existed in the interior of guiana and the solution appears to have been left to humboldt while exploring the countries upon the upper orinoco he was informed that the portion of eastern guiana lying between the rivers esquibo and branca is the classical soil of the dorado of parima in the islets and rocks of mica slate and talc which rise up within and around a lake adjoining the parama river reflecting from their shining surfaces the rays of an ardent sun we have materials out of which to form that gorgeous capital the temples and houses of which were overlaid with plates of beaten gold with such elements to work upon heated fancies aided by the imperfect vision of distant and dubious objects might easily create that fabulous superstructure we may judge of the brilliancy of these deceptive appearances from learning that the natives ascribed the lustre of the magellanic clouds or nebula of the southern hemisphere to the bright reflections produced by them there could not well be a more poetical exaggeration of the lustrous effects produced by the metallic hues of rocks of talc these details in which m de pont a somewhat later traveller who long resided in an official capacity in the neighbouring countries fully concurs in all probability point to the true origin of this remarkable fable the well-known failure of raleigh did not discourage other adventurers who were found in quick succession the last always flattering themselves with the hope that the discovery of el dorado would ultimately be realized amber a source of international trade the amber trade which was probably first directed to the west cimbrian coasts and only subsequently to the baltic and the country of the estonians owes its first origin to the boldness and perseverance of phoenician coast navigators in its subsequent extension it offers a remarkable instance of the influence which may be exerted by a predilection for even a single foreign production in opening an inland trade between nations and in making known large tracts of country 
in the same way that the phocaean massilians brought the british tin across france to the rhone the amber was conveyed from people to people through germany and by the celts on either declivity of the alps to the padu and through pannonia to the borysthenes it was this inland traffic which first brought the coasts of the northern ocean into connection with the Oxyen and the adriatic humboldt's cosmos antiquity of lightning conductors a story was formerly repeated in germany after father angelo cortinoria that the tomb of the hero of clusium lars porcina described by varro ornamented with a bronze head and bronze pendant chains was an apparatus for atmospheric electricity or for conducting lightning as were according to michaelis the metal points on solomon's temple but the tale obtained currency at a time when men were much inclined to attribute to ancient nations the remains of a supernaturally revealed primitive knowledge which was soon after obscured the most important notice of the relation between lightning and conducting metals a fact not difficult of discovery still appears to be that of Cetius. he possessed two iron swords presents from the king artaxerxes nemon and from his mother perisatis which when planted in the earth averted clouds hail and strokes of lightning he had himself seen the operation for the king had twice made the experiment before his eyes the exact attention paid by the etruscans to the meteorological processes of the atmosphere in all that deviated from the ordinary course of phenomena makes it to be lamented that nothing has come down to us from their fulgur read books the epochs of the appearance of great comets of the fall of meteoric stones and of showers of falling stars would no doubt have been found recorded in them as in the more ancient chinese annals of which edward biot has made use kreutzer has attempted to show that the natural features of etruria may have influenced the peculiar turn of mind of its inhabitants a calling forth of the lightning which is ascribed to prometheus reminds us of the pretended drawing down of lightning by the fulguratores this operation consisted in a mere conjuration and may well have been of no more efficacy than the skinned ass's head which in the etruscan rites was considered a preservative from danger in their thunderstorms see notes to humboldt's cosmos volume two how the deaf may hear about seventeen thirty eight a merchant of cleves named jorison who had become almost totally deaf sitting one day near a harpsichord while some one was playing and having a tobacco-pipe in his mouth the bowl of which rested accidentally against the body of the instrument was surprised to hear all the notes most distinctly by a little reflection and practice he again attained the use of this valuable sense for he soon learned by means of a piece of hard wood one end of which he placed against his teeth while another person placed the other end on his teeth to keep up a conversation and to be able to understand the least whisper the effect thus described is the same if the person who speaks rests his stick against his throat or his breast or when one rests the stick which he holds in his teeth against some vessel into which the other speaks 
drying wood for violins some amusing instances are related of the efficiency of the application of heated currents to manufacturing and other purposes once patented by davison and symington thus a violin had been in the owner's possession for upwards of sixteen years how old it was when he first had it is not known upon being exposed to this process it lost in eight hours no less than five-sixths nearly five and two-thirds per cent of its weight this there is every reason to believe was owing to the blocks glued inside for the purpose of holding the more slender parts together instrument makers would do well to see that all parts however mean their position in the instrument are properly seasoned or divested of moisture for surely water cannot improve sound a violin maker of high reputation having an order to make an instrument for one of the first violinists of the day was requested to have the wood seasoned by the new process only three days were allowed for the experiment in which the wood was seasoned and sent home the two heaviest pieces were reduced in weight two and a half pounds which is equal to two pints of water it is ascertained that by this means of drying the effect of age has been given to the instrument made from the above wood and it became first fiddle in the orchestra of her majesty's theatre the wood had been in the possession of its owners for eight years and it was sent from switzerland in the first instance as dry wood footnote in proof of the economy of messrs davison and symington's invention applied to the manufacture and cleansing of brewers casks it is stated that through its adoption at truman's brewery spitalfields a saving of three hundred tons of coals was effected annually columbus's own ship journal columbus has left us some charming descriptions of his own discoveries though it is only recently that we have obtained the knowledge of his own ship's journal of his letters to the treasurer sanchez to doña juana de la torre governess of the infant don juan and to queen isabella humboldt has sought to show how deep a feeling and perception of the forms and the beauty of nature the great discoverer was endowed and how he described the face of the earth and the new heaven which opened to his view with a beauty and simplicity of expression which can only be fully appreciated by those who are familiar with the ancient force of the language as it existed at the period the aspect and the physiognomy of the vegetation the impenetrable thickets of the forest quote, in which one can hardly distinguish which are the flowers and leaves belonging to each stem end quote the wild luxuriance which clothed the humid shores the rose-coloured flamingos fishing at the mouth of the rivers in the early morning and giving animation to the landscape attract the attention of the old navigator while sailing along the coast of cuba between the small lucayan islands and the jardinillos each newly discovered land appears to him still more beautiful than those he had before described he complains that he cannot find words in which to record the sweet impressions which he has received quote, the loveliness of this new land says the discoverer far surpasses that of the campina de cordoba the trees are all bright with ever-verdant foliage and perpetually laden with fruits 
the plants on the ground are tall and full of blossoms the breezes are mild like those in april in castile the nightingales sing more sweetly than i can describe at night other small birds sing sweetly and i also hear our grasshoppers and frogs once i came into a deeply enclosed harbour and saw high mountains which no human eye had seen before from which lovely water streamed down the mountain was covered with firs pines and other trees of very various form and adorned with beautiful flowers ascending the river which poured itself into the bay i was astonished at the cool shade the crystal clear water and the number of singing birds it seemed as if i could never quit a spot so delightful as if a thousand tongues would fail to describe it as if the spell-bound hand would refuse to write we have here from the journal of an unlettered seaman the power which the beauty of nature manifested in her individual forms may exert on a susceptible mind feelings in noble language for the prose of the admiral especially when on his fourth voyage at the age of sixty-seven he relates his wonderful dream on the coast of veragua as if not more eloquent yet far more moving than the allegorical pastoral romance of boccaccio and the two arcadias of sanazaro and sydney than garcilasso's cilicio e nemoroso or than the diana of jorge de montemayor early incitements to a scientific study of nature baron humboldt in the opening of his cosmos volume two recalls the lessons of experience which tell us how often impressions received by the senses from circumstances seemingly accidental have so acted on the youthful mind as to determine the whole direction of the man's course through life childish pleasure in the form of countries and of seas as delineated in maps the desire to behold those southern constellations which have never risen in our horizon the sight of palms and of the cedars of lebanon figured in a pictorial bible may have implanted in the spirit the first impulse to travel in distant lands Quote, if i might says humboldt have recourse to my own experience and say what awakened in me the first beginnings of an inextinguishable longing to visit the tropics i should name george forster's descriptions of the islands of the pacific paintings by hodge in the house of warren hastings in london representing the banks of the ganges and a colossal dragon tree in an old tower of the botanic gardens at berlin the rights of whitebait formerly whitebait were considered to be the young of the shad and only of late years has the misnamed fish taken its proper position it appears that mr yarrell the able naturalist was one morning in march struck with the early appearance of whitebait in a fishmonger's shop in st james and knowing that shads which they were supposed to be did not make their appearance till much later may he took up the matter and persevered in a course of investigation which lasted from march to august eighteen twenty eight the specific distinction between the two fishes on which mr yarrell relies as of the greatest value is the difference of their anatomical character and especially in the number of vertebra or small bones extending from the backbone Quote, 
the number of vertebrae in the shad he states of whatever size the specimen may be is invariably fifty-five while the number in the whitebait is uniformly fifty-six even in a fish of two inches with the assistance of a lens their exact number may be distinctly made out End quote. End of section four.